Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And now, Mike Hickson. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. All of us need a place of refuge in times of trouble. I would not be honest if I told you that life is easy. To the contrary, it can be extremely difficult. And because of the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations of life, we need a refuge. And the psalmist here acknowledges the fact that God is a refuge for his people. There are three things I want us to think about in our study. The first is that we do have a refuge in trouble. And that refuge in trouble ultimately affords us strength. Many times when we think about the difficulties and the heartaches and sorrows of life, one of the things that comes to mind is that those problems can weigh heavily upon us and literally break our spirit leaving us in a weakened condition. Listen, if you would, to what the psalmist said. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The first thing that I would call your attention to is the fact that we have personal care in our trouble. The psalmist said God is our refuge. You and I need to see ourselves in that phrase, as the people of God, in light of the fact that God is our Heavenly Father, we need to look to Him and realize that He affords us personal care in times of trouble. Think, if you would, about the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 7, when he said, casting all your care on Him, for He cares for you. What a joy to know that God cares about each and every one of us. God's care for us is abundant. Now, those of us that are parents and grandparents, we understand and we appreciate the tremendous love that exists between us and our children and grandchildren. And no doubt we would do whatever we would do whatever it takes to ensure their care and safekeeping. Well, that's the way I view God the Father. I see a being in heaven, I see a God who is attentive to our needs, who understands our hurts, our sorrows, our trials, and our tribulations. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he spoke of God the Father and he said he is the God of all comfort. He is the Father of all mercies, but ultimately he is the God of all comfort. And so we need to see the personal care of Almighty God in our troubles. But then also, I would suggest that we need, to, we need to see the fact that His presence is constant in our troubles. Listen again to the words of the psalmist. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist asked on one occasion, where can I flee from your presence? In Psalm 139. And what the psalmist realized in the long ago was this. There is nowhere that you and I can go to escape 
the ever-presence of Almighty God. God is omnipresent. That is, He is ever-present. When Paul stood before the Athenians, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 17, he made this statement about God. He is not far from any one of us. You see, the very God in whom we live and move and have our very being, He is the God who is always at our side. There is no place that you and I can go, even if we were to go to the most remotest regions of this world, God would still be there. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. God is our refuge. He is a very present help in trouble. To know that God's presence is always is always with us. I love the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 13 when he said, speaking on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Have you ever had somebody tell you, I'm going to stand beside you thick and thin. I'll never leave you. I'll do whatever I can. And then when troubles come, when trials come, what happens? They leave your side. When the going gets tough, sometimes the tough get going. And no doubt all of us have had occasions in life when people have promised to stand by us, when people have promised to support us, and then when the difficulties of life come, they're nowhere to be found. Well, I can assure you this, God is not like that. No, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And here's what Paul said concerning our Lord. Paul said, God cannot lie in Hebrews chapter 6 at verse 18. When God says He'll do something, He'll do it. When God makes a promise in His Word, you and I, we can bank on it. We can believe it. Because it's just that true. Alright, secondly, not only do we have a refuge in trouble, but also we need to have resolve. In trouble. And by this, I mean we need to be steadfast. We need to literally dig in our heels. Paul said, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Now, what about this resolve in trouble? What about this spirit of steadfastness that should characterize us as the people of God? Somebody says, well, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how my life has literally been turned upside down. You don't understand the fears and the anxieties that I'm facing at this particular juncture in my life. Well, maybe I don't. But I know what the psalmist said. And the first thing that I want you to, to realize is this. Whatever comes our way, we need to be fearless. Not fearful, but fearless in trouble. Now why do you say that? Alright, look at what the psalmist said. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now look at verse 2. Therefore, in other words, in light of the fact that God is our refuge, that He is our strength, that He is present in times of trouble, therefore, we will not fear. That's what the psalmist said. Therefore, we will not fear. Well, listen to him. 
We will not fear even though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters roar and be troubled. And though the mountains shake with swelling. The psalmist here pictures upheaval. The idea is that of the earth undergoing unbelievable changes. We might call them cataclysmic changes. But the writer here uses pictures that are unsettling to our minds. And he's simply saying this, even though the world may be turned upside down, even though our world may not be what we want it to be, we're not going to fear. What did Jesus say in John chapter 6 verse 20? You remember in John chapter 6 verse 20 when the disciples saw Jesus and the Bible speaks of Him walking on the water. The Lord said, It is I, do not be afraid. Why should you and I be afraid in life? There are a lot of people, they, they are literally paralyzed by fear. They can't do anything because they're so fearful of the things of life. The psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, therefore, because He is our refuge, because He is our strength, we're not going to live in fear. We're going to be fearless in the face of trouble. Now maybe that's easier said than done. I know what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4 at verse 7, Paul said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with supplication, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Did you know that the Apostle Paul taught in Colossians chapter 3 at about verse 3 that our lives are hidden with Christ in God? Why should we fear? Why should we live in a state of anxiety? Why should we be so worried about the things that are going on in the world around us? We'll have more to say about that in a moment. But ultimately, we need to be fearless in trouble. And here's why. Because we have a fortress in trouble. We need to be fearless in times of trouble because we have a fortress in times of trouble. Look if you would at verse 4. And think about how you and I enjoy a covenant relationship with God. John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God or the children of God. We belong to God. Paul said we are His possession. We belong to Him. Do you think God, do you think God genuinely cares about us? Read the redemptive story. I would challenge you, read beginning in Genesis and go through the book of Revelation. And over and over again, one divine truth ought to come home to you, and that is that God is genuinely interested in you as an individual. And those who enjoy a covenant relationship with Him, those that are His people, they enjoy great blessings. And so here's what the psalmist said. There's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, 
the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I said a moment ago that we need to be fearless in trouble because we have a fortress in trouble. Did you hear what the psalmist said? The psalmist said, the Lord of hosts is with us. He said, God's people will not be moved. As a matter of fact, he said, God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Does God know what we need? Does God know what you need, individually speaking? Absolutely. Does God know does, does God know about the world in which I'm living? Does He understand where I am at this point in time in 2009? I think that it does. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, the very hairs of our head are numbered, according to Matthew chapter 10. You just think about the knowledge of God. We talk about the um, omnipresence of God, the fact that He is ever-present, but He is also omniscient. That is, He is all-knowing. And God said that a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his knowledge. And so here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? Well, the answer is yes. We're of great value in the eyes of God. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have a low sense of self-esteem. There are people in the church today that have low self-esteem. Somebody has said the straightest line to self-esteem is the throne of God. The closer you and I draw to God, the better we should feel about ourselves. Because we have been made in His image and in His likeness. And we have in Him a fortress. Now, having said that, I want to call your attention to our third point. And this has to do with our remembrance in trouble. And really what the psalmist is going to do is call upon call upon people of all ages to look back and see God at work in days gone by. And so here are here are the suggestions afforded those of us today by the psalmist. Note if you would what he says beginning in verse 9. And first of all he's saying what you need to do, investigate the power of God. Let's say your world is upside down. Let's say you're facing trials and tribulations. All right? Let's say the world in which you live, the nation in which you live, let's say it's unstable. Let's say life itself is unstable. All right? Here's what the psalmist said. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth, he said he makes war cease in the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. The psalmist is saying this. You want to see God at work? Then you just go back and see what he's done in days gone by. You want to see if God is who he says he is and if he can do what he says he can do? You just go back and look at some of the people 
of days gone by and see how he dealt with them and see how he protected them. You want some examples? Let me give you a couple of examples. What about David and Goliath? Go back and read the account in 1 Samuel. Here was Goliath, this mammoth-sized man, nine feet tall, standing before this small shepherd boy by the name of David. Goliath was doing what? He was taunting the children of Israel. He taunted, Gal he taunted David. David came in the name of the Lord. And what did God do on behalf of David? He delivered Goliath into his hands. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel? You remember Nebuchadnezzar had erected a golden image some 90 feet in height and the command was given that at the sound of certain musical instruments every person was to bow down and worship this golden image, this idol. And what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say in the long ago? They basically said to King Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we're not going to bow down and worship this God that you have erected. If, if we perish, then so be it. But we're going to serve the one true living God. Read the book of Daniel. Read that account. Were they not spared? Even though they were thrust into that burning, fiery furnace, it had been heated seven times hotter than its normal temperature. And yet, not a hair of their head was singed. Was God with them? You better believe that He was. What about Daniel himself? When Daniel was thrust into the, lion, into the den of lions, you remember an edict had been made according to the law of the Persians? They were not to, the people of that day were not to petition any god save the king. And what did Daniel do? He bowed down and prayed to his god just as he did on every other occasion. And for that he was thrust into a lion's den. And yet you can read the account. What happened to Daniel? I can tell you what happened. He was spared. Now there are people today that will say, scholars will say, that Psalm 46, the backdrop of this psalm, is the account of King Sennacherib threatening the children of Israel. Sennacherib was king of Assyria. And what was going on in that day and time, in the long ago, they were taunting Hezekiah and the people. And basically... Sennacherib was saying, who's the God that's going to deliver you from my hands? Assyria was a very powerful nation of people. And you can read about their powerful exploits and you can read about how they did business, particularly in light of some of the works of the prophets. But let me just call your attention to 2 Kings chapter 19 for a moment. Many would say that this is the backdrop for Psalm 46. In 2 Kings chapter 19, Hezekiah has been warned about the threats of Sennacherib. And what Hezekiah does is literally goes in and lays this matter out before Almighty God. And as he lays this matter out before Almighty God, God in the long ago responds to him. And here's what is said in 2 Kings chapter 19, 
in verse, in about verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now, listen to what the divine record says. It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. What was God saying there? God said, listen, Hezekiah, they're not going to shoot an arrow in this city. They're not going to do one thing. They may think they are, but I'm telling you right now, not one thing is going to happen. And God sent a destroying angel of the angel of the Lord on that occasion into the camp of the Assyrians, and they got up the next morning, and the Bible says 185,000 people were dead. Do you not think that got some attention in that day and time? I can assure you that it did. Now what's the psalmist saying based on Psalm 46? The psalmist is saying simply this. You, are you concerned about, about life? Are you concerned about your trials and tribulations? Are you concerned about what's going on in your life? Well, you just look back and see how God has dealt with people in the past. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what God has done in the past. The idea is investigate the power of God. Go back and put it to the test. Literally, raise the hood. Examine. Look into it. That is... Look into the contents of God's Word. See what He's done in days gone by. That's what He's telling these people. But then also, there is an invitation to behold the power of God. And here's what I want you to see in this. I want you to understand that God is sovereign. When I say that God is sovereign, I mean God is over everything. Psalm 99, verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord reigneth. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 6 that God is over all. All right, here's what he said. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What is God saying there? What is God trying to say to His people? Here's what I believe He's saying. What you and I need to do is step back. Sometimes we get so caught up in life and sometimes we feel the weight of life so heavily upon our shoulders that we can't see clearly. And sometimes we have the idea that we're bearing this thing alone and that we're the ones that are going to master our ship. We're going to be the ones that are going to somehow... It's all on us, in other words. We're going to see ourselves through this difficulty or this trial. And in so doing, many times, 
we're filled with anxiety, we're filled with worry, we're, fear, we're filled with fear. And the psalmist is saying what you and I need to do is step back and realize that God is in control. And I mean He is in absolute control. One writer, Brother Wayne Jackson, who I believe to be a very good student of the Bible, and if you have not visited his website, I would encourage you to do that, christiancourier.com. He writes a lot of excellent articles. But he said in reference to Psalm 46.10 that in a sense God is saying what you need to do is chill out. Now that's modern vernacular, granted. But I think the point is well taken. Sometimes what we need to do is step back, take a deep breath, and realize God is in control. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. God is God. God is all-powerful. Sometimes we have the idea that, that we, that is, people made of flesh and blood, that we can somehow work our way out of all these trials and tribulations and difficulties in life, and that we can just bear this thing alone. The psalmist is saying that's not possible. And he's telling us what we need to do is look to God to realize that He is in control. I think about people that are in the church. There are people in the church today who have yet to realize God is in control. Put it in the hands of God. That's what the psalmist is saying to do. He's saying step back, take a deep breath, put it in the hands of Almighty God. You want proof that God can work in the lives of people? Just go back and read about some of the great men and women of days gone by. You'll see God at work. Is God at work in our lives? Absolutely. God is at work every day. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. Because many times we like the faith to put our lives into His hands. To realize that He is in control and that He can ultimately guide us safely home. Read the Bible every day. Read it, study it, meditate upon it. And I would challenge you, when you get down in life, go back and pick out somebody who faced adversity in life. Go back and read about the life of Joseph. Or pick up reading the life of David. Read about the life of David in the Psalms. Read about the lives of some of the prophets. Read about some of the adversities in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I'll tell you one thing, you'll come away with renewed strength because you will see that God was with them and the same God that was with them will be with us. The question is, do we believe it? I would hope that we do. In closing, aren't you thankful that we have a loving God who is all-powerful, who is ever-present, 
who is always at our side and who is genuinely concerned about us in this life. It might be the case that you've been living alone. That is, you have never put your faith in the Lord and you're trying to live in this world by yourself. What you need is the Lord. What you need to do is put your faith in the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. You and I today, we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the very one who said, it is I, do not be afraid. Then we need to repent. That is, turn from a life of sin. Confess his name before others, and then be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Acts 2, verse 38. The beauty of that is, once you become a child of God, you will enjoy this rich, lavish array of spiritual blessings. And one of the great blessings that is attendant in the lives of God's people is prayer. Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. God will hear your prayers. And then, the exhortation, be faithful until death. In other words, the Lord wants you to live for Him day in and day out. When things are going well, when they aren't going so well, be faithful to Him. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.